Hello, friends, and welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. I am Kristen Carey, and I'm really eager to get into this conversation with my friend Anna here in our podcast studio with me today. Anna, thank you so much for joining me on the Living Truth Podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You guys, Anna is a brave woman who is here to share about some of her struggles with sexuality. And this is a topic that we don't talk a lot about in the church, but it is a very common struggle among Christian women. And Anna's brave enough to share her story. I first heard her story in a very abbreviated form when I spoke to mothers of preschoolers. And so she came over to me, talked to me a little bit about her, her struggles. As I had opened up this topic of sexuality and helping our kids prepare for living in the hypersexual culture we live in, and that was her first brave approach of me, but she has been living authentically and honestly for a really long time. And I love that because it's extremely rare for women to come forward and, and admit that they have a struggle in this area. So Anna, I would just like to know, what was your first exposure to sexuality that kind of made us like an impression on you and um, started you on your path of struggle? So I first um, struggled when I received a bag of books from a friend of my mom and in it were several young adult appropriate novels. I was middle school-ish mm-hmm. and then there was one book that was one of those dime store romance, romance novels mm-hmm. and um, just reading through all the books voraciously as you know book readers do at that age I got to this one and I knew it was a little different and then I got to the bad part where they started talking about body parts and I put it on my shelf because I knew I was not supposed to have it and read it and I felt I felt the a little bit of the shame and a little bit of just the okay this is bad but my parents had never talked to me about it and, and about I, sex they talked to me about sex but just not about what to do if I were to cross something like this in my path. And how old were you? Probably 13, 13. 12. Okay. So old, older, but um, I was a pretty sheltered child. Um, so I sat on my bookshelf for a while and I was very curious. I, I felt like I should throw it away, but I was also really curious about it. So I kind of just let it sit there and tempt me and I struggled with that for a while. And then I went back and I'd read a little bit more and then read a little bit more and then I'd read the whole thing. And then before long, I kind of um, had figured out where the books were in the library and I could go pick them up and check them out. And those books, you didn't need to have your library card. You could just take them. You didn't have to. It was kind of honor system. And yeah. so I was able to kind of go into that and just kind of a uh, I had a very, a person, I'm a very perfectionist, idealistic person. And so there was this cathartic thing of just fantasy that a fantasy world that this opened up there that I was able to not be myself or that I was able to have this moment of relief in reading or seeing something like, or reading or thinking through something like that. Oh gosh. So you talk about the relief that Mm -hmm. you felt. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is so ironic because early on you're feeling shame and this is bad Mm -hmm. and I shouldn't, but then eventually you are kind of drawn in and the positive feeling that you had was relief. Like you got a break from the 
difficulties of the real world and you were able to escape into a fantasy world where you felt what? Like, were you able to kind of put yourself in the story, the yeah. romance story, and feel like you were the one who was being pursued and wooed and loved? Yes. Was oh, yes. Was that the, like, draw? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And this was a time my parents were separated, mm. um, and my mom and I had a contentious relationship, and she was also kind of that perfection perfectionistic voice. And so, like, if I never felt like I was good enough, I had this escape mm. and, and relief and slash release of mm-hmm. just all of that pent up guilt and shame and that voice that doesn't stop telling you what you're doing wrong. Mm. And yeah, that was just escaping and it and and it didn't even need to include the sexual part. It got to the point where I just could start pretending I was someone else. I could pretend I was in this story and all of a sudden I didn't need to be me anymore and I that's how I could fall asleep mm-hmm. at night. Yeah. So it was the escape mm-hmm. of being in another story altogether, yeah. not just the sexual fantasy of it, yeah, but just being able to turn off reality of the pain and difficulties of your current situation and escape into an alternate reality. Yeah. And it wasn't like yeah. my situation was that bad. It was well, a really... Well, that sounds like a lot of pain. I mean, yeah. to be going through your parents' separation, that's really hard for a kid, yeah. especially in their teen years. And then a contentious relationship with your mom and and having her be kind of perfectionistic over you is extremely painful. Yeah. It really is. I think the teen years are painful and difficult for most of us. Yeah. But add on those other elements and also add on this whole kind of forbidden realm of sexuality. Now, you grew up in a period of time where there was no high-speed internet. That's true. Well, okay. well, I I we had AOL chat rooms, okay. but it was not whatever it is today. Yeah. So. so was it was online ever a part of your struggle early on? Thankfully no. I, I Which am. really is just because of access. Right. Don't exactly. you think? I mean, oh yeah. What about what about girls growing up today or even young women in their 20s who are younger than cuz you are in your 30s. Yes. Correct. So women who are who grew up with high speed internet, what do you think it would have been like you like for you to grow up with access to all the, you had to actually walk to the library or go to the yeah. library. You had to go pick up the book, check it out. What do you think it would have done to your struggle with er, erotica is the term for sexually stimulating right. written material, just for our listeners to have a category for what I mean when I say erotica. How easy would it have been for you to go down an even darker, deeper rabbit hole if you had grown up with that kind of access? I I went down that very, just a little bit, like as an adult in my 20s and I was trying to fight this battle all on my own steam. So I was able to find for a few years just some electronic erotica that was easy access and that was a bit of a struggle and it was again like when I was a kid and the book on the shelf and I'd try it and then I'd put it back and then I'd delete them all from my e-reader and then I'd pick it up again so it was more of that same kind of cyclical process so your early 20s was when like high-speed internet was becoming a big thing Mm -hmm. and the access what do you think the access to this kind of material did in terms of accelerating Mm. the struggle or did it it did I think it it opened my mind to 
more ideas. It gave me lots more ideas. It gave me lots more things. And so that, I think that was detrimental. Like the, the one dime store novel is one thing, but you start opening up those doors and you open up some pretty scary doors and it's hard to shut them. Yeah. So we had started with when you were like 13 ish, 12, 13. Mm -hmm. And then we jumped to your early Mm twenties. Can you describe the time period in between when you started getting the books at the library and just kind of what your struggle was like, how you felt about it, which probably was a lot of mixed emotions, mm-hmm. right? Was faith a thing for you? Oh, yeah. I was I was in the church and I did choir and, yeah. you know, youth group and all of that. And I remember distinctly, this is high, high end of um, purity culture and which... It's a whole other soapbox, but I remember being separated into boys and girls to talk about sexuality, and I remember our girl talk about sexuality was how boys are the nasty ones who struggle with porn, and how girls, we have different struggles, and we just need to make sure we cover up our body and don't... um, engage in sexual behavior, and that's, and then we're good. So I just kind of went through this, I need to be in the other room. I'm so, I'm so broken, and I'm so... Um, yeah, I'm so broken and dirty that I can't even be with the girls. My struggle belongs over with the dirty boys. And oh my gosh. I, so did that make you feel all alone? Like I am the only girl. Yeah. The way it was being, sexuality was being addressed with the girls in your youth group was, this is a boy's struggle since it was your struggle too. Oh my gosh, that level of shame must have been through the roof. It was. And it was hard. Like, well, then who do I talk to about this? Who's not going to look at me and judge me and say, oh, wow, that's just almost unredeemable. So you didn't have any friends that you talked to about this? Mm -mm. Not at all. Yeah. And even your youth leaders or whoever was talking to you about this stuff, once they gave you that message, were you like, heck no, I'm not going to talk to them about it? Yeah, pretty much. I was like, okay, well, this isn't a safe space to bring it up. Um, I had a few other female mentors who poured into me throughout the years, and I probably could have said something there. There There was more openness and grace there, and there wasn't the... You know, we didn't have the purity thing um, hanging over it. But it was, uh, yeah, it kind of just kind of silenced me in general for a while. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And if you think about the number of other girls in your youth group that were probably struggling with stuff, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And silence. Yeah. What do you think is the kind of message we need to give our youth today about sexuality? Oh, goodness. That's a loaded question. That is. Yeah. Gee, let me just. uh, (laughs) No, I think that it is not uncommon to to bring that message into it, to bring people who are willing to share that they've struggled to, you know, the the power of sharing that and just um, not talking about it in terms of dirty or raw, you know, in terms of dirty or really broken or beyond repair but in just there's healing and there's grace and Mm -hmm. there's there's acceptance regardless of what you've done yeah so that message came at you as a youth where does your story go from there with this struggle um I got married in my early 20s and that was exciting and wonderful and at the same time did not change my struggles like I thought it would I thought well maybe getting married and being in a sexual relationship everybody thinks that when they're struggling right when did you tell your husband before you married him 
A little bit. We shared a little bit. We both yeah. had broken sexual pasts. And so we were, I was fairly open. Yeah. Um, How did he respond when you told him? Very graciously, very lovingly. It was really, it was sweet. Um, and also I felt like he didn't make a big of deal about it as I thought he should. Because <laughs> I was like, this is a huge thing. And he's like, there's grace. It's okay. You know, God loves you and I love you. Yeah. and. I'm always going to love you. And so that was, that was good. Um, but it was, yeah, still, and and he had his own issues that we've worked through that, you know, we had to work and pray through. And so that was, there was the camaraderie of, you know, we're both just two broken people who are going to work and be committed to this marriage. Yeah. Now he wasn't the first person that you actually came out and told, was he? Yes. He was. He was. That's amazing. That speaks loudly to the level to which you trusted him. Yeah. Yeah. He was, we, we, yeah, we committed early on to, we were just going to communicate and always work through things. And that even if things felt unsettled, it was important to us to, to communicate all the way through. Mm. And so I feel like he, um, yeah, there was just that trust from the beginning, which was amazing. Such a gift. Yeah. So then you get, this is the time period when it became more widespread to be able to access the internet. Yeah. And so how would you handle that when you would struggle and, um, was it all just erotica or was it pornography as well? All erotica. Okay. And fantasy. And then taking the erotica yeah. and running with it in my mind. In your mind. Right. Which is just erotica to a degree is just written pornography. Right. Exactly. Um, written word. So when you would struggle in that time period and you were going either into marriage or you had gotten married and you're thinking, oh, marriage is going to solve this. Mm-hmm. Do you have any memory of like the, the correlation of how this struggle, did it increase? Did it stay the same? Did it drop off for a while? What was kind of the correlation between your time of getting married and your first year of marriage and whatnot with this struggle? The interesting part of our marriage is my husband traveled like five weeks a month for the first. Wait, five weeks well, a month? Almost all the That's time. Fun. Was yeah. that a joke? <laughs> that because there's more than joke. five. Okay. <laughs> He's gone a lot. Okay. Um, and then even when he was here, he was working all the time. So, and I was um, a teacher and in my first year teaching and you, that's just, you know, so we were just those overworked young married couple just trying to get things to me. And so I would say it kind of stayed the same just in just the normal ebb and flow of how much energy I had to fight, how much energy or alone time I had, how much um, time we were spending together. So it was just, it just kind of felt the same. And how did that feel when you had thought, you had expectations going into marriage? Mm -hmm. Oh, when we get married and we have a sexual relationship, this won't be a thing anymore, which every young person (laughs) thinks that. Yeah. So let the record show for our listeners that is a lie because I've never seen a problem with porn or erotica, any kind of that sexual fantasy world. I've never seen that diminish after marriage. I've only seen it increase. Mm -hmm. It's a bizarre, it's a bizarre thing. Um, it felt discouraging. Yeah. And it also, yeah, it felt discouraging. Like, okay, so this is just always going to be a part of me. Almost like a, submission to it or a, like just a reluctant like ugh okay so yeah. I guess this is just what it is and I, I assume you were surprised that it was still such a struggle 
Yeah. Why do you think it became something that still was a struggle, even though this is, you know, I know it's a tricky question, but why is it still such a struggle when you could now you're you're freely having a sexual relationship with your husband? Mm -hmm. I think there and what I've experienced and learned since then and in my process of freedom and everything I've gone through is there are just there are pathways in the brain and you just run those ruts and until Christ comes in and helps and the Holy Spirit comes in and helps smooth over those ruts, you're just going to go back mm-hmm. there. It's hard to get for any type, like gambling or alcohol, like any type of addictive, we're addictive creatures almost. And yeah. so if you're not, if you're not making sure Holy Spirit's keeping your path smooth, you are going to fall in your ruts, whatever they are. Right. And I think too, it's like married s- sexual relationships are real like there's no like you snap your fingers and the lights dim and you're set in the mood and there's there's babies that are screaming in the background Mm -hmm. or you had a conflict earlier in the day and it's not you're not feeling entirely heard Mm -hmm. or you know it's the that time of the month or whatever there's all kinds of real life things that make connection difficult at different times and for different reasons right and pornography and erotica and that whole world is a world of fantasy where nothing goes wrong so I feel like it's not even in the same category like sexual relationship and marriage and our sexual relationship really with ourselves through pornography masturbation erotica all of that it's like two different solar systems it's not even the same solar system let alone the same planet right and I think there's just from for what I experienced too the second part of it, which I've kind of gotten on this soapbox of, especially talking with younger younger women these days, is Christian romance novels were still almost a into that fantasy for me. Just like sometimes they take it too far, and sometimes mm-hmm. or sometimes it's just too perfect, and he's too prince charming that even that in my marriage yeah. was a way to put a wedge to where I just can't read Christian fiction. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like there's there's this yeah, like the the sexual thing is one side, but just anything that's fantasy ideal where it's not the real world or even Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> yeah. Like just anything that takes my mind there, I just can't do. Right. Anything that like resolves a massive life threatening problem in thirty to ninety minutes. Exactly. That's not real life. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you made that first big step of telling somebody and it was your husband before you got married. When was the next time you actually reached out and said, I need help with this? Oh my gosh, I'm drowning. I can't, I can't stop this on my own. So there were hints of it with a women's ministry I'm a part of that's all on brokenness and confession and, um, prayer and healing prayer. And so I walked through that road and I feel like I needed to, God used that to prepare my heart so much for being able to overcome this. I love how the Holy Spirit just gently guides us where we need to go next. Like he's not taking all of our sin and piling on us at the same time. Like even if there is something like this sexual brokenness running under the surface, there's He's he's going to he prepares our hearts first before we get there. Mm-hmm. And so learning those concepts, um, I did a class on Neil Anderson's um, bondage breaker and freedom in Christ. Yeah. 
and just learning who I am in Christ and repeating those truths to myself. Like there was just this huge in my twenties path of getting that security in Christ that I think I needed at that point to, to be able to even get to the sexual sin part. Mm -hmm. And so that was huge. Um, and in all of those times, I, you know, there were times to confess, there were times to maybe write down what you're struggling with. And I would write it down on a piece of paper, but I just wasn't ready to tell anybody yet. Um, so that was, there were, there were good times of just release and growing there. And then finally I was at a conference and, um, you know, conferences have these themes and these theme verses. Well, they had somebody, they had an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic share from the main stage. And they had a couple other speakers on the main stage. And then in my breakout sessions, and they were all sharing a verse, but it wasn't the theme of the weekend, but it was that same verse just kept coming up everywhere I was going. And it's Ephesians 5, but but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. And that was coming up. And I, the first time I knew it, I knew what God was asking me to do. I kind of had felt going into that conference that God was going to do something big. And so the first time I heard it, I was like, okay, yeah, no, we're not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> like, God, I don't, I don't want to. It's okay. I'm good. I'm good. And then the verse came again and again and again. And finally I was like, okay. So I, they had prayer rooms set up. And so I went into the prayer room and there was somebody there. And um, I went and sat down and her name was Jane and she was from the UK. And I'm like, oh, the UK, that's across the ocean. I can tell you. That is safe. That you are so safe. I'm never seeing you again in my life in case this goes poorly. And so I just sat down in front of her and I was crying and I was kind of relieved because I didn't think my feet were actually going to take me to the prayer room. I was surprised I made it there. And so I sat down in front of her and I was just like stared at the wall and I said, I am struggling with masturbation and erotica and sexual sin and I just need to be free. And she looked at me and she said, okay, are you ready? Let's pray. And she knew the exact prayer. She knew, you know, we broke the chains. We went through everything and she had me repeat things and prayed. And then she blessed me and filled me up with the Holy Spirit and sealed me. And like, I just walked out of there feeling so light and so amazing mm. And like, I felt like the literal chains break off my body. I wow. just, it was, it was an incredible experience. Wow. That is amazing. And not everybody has that kind of a earth chattering experience from a prayer yeah. experience. Was she doing deliverance type prayers, like breaking generational yeah. sin and breaking soul ties, th yes. that kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We were... This is, you know what? This is interesting, Anna, because this is a topic we haven't gone deep into on our podcast yet. But what's really cool um, in you bringing that up is this is a part of what both Michael and I have been learning is about some of this deliverance type, generational sins and curses, um, soul ties. I think we're going to need to do a whole podcast episode on these concepts because like I can't do it justice right now, but these are spiritual realities that are unseen but have a huge impact on people who are struggling and, and trapped in the bondage of sexual sin. Mm -hmm. And these are actually things we take our group members through is breaking all of these different demonic strongholds. Really they're, um, they are ways in which we give permission to the enemy to hang on. Yeah. To keep us stuck. Yeah, that's amazing that you do that with your groups. It's, it's Well, I'm really glad that happened with you. And I just wanted to clarify for our audience, this wasn't just 
you doing a prayer of dear Jesus, help me, which that's a beautiful prayer. And I think we need to say that prayer every day. Mm -hmm. Do we not? However, this was a lot more in-depth deliverance type work that you were doing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it was matching up and aligning with what I had experienced in the freedom in Christ and bondage breakers. Yes. So as, as she was praying, it wasn't foreign to me. I knew yeah. what it was and I knew it was safe and I knew it was rooted in Christ. Right. And so I feel like that was a huge part too. Had I not had that foundation of mm -hmm. this is scriptural, it would have been hard to walk fully in the freedom of what she was praying for me. And one thing I think is really key for everybody listening to know is that you cannot do this type of work by yourself. Oh, amen. You cannot. No, you can't. It, And it's also, like you said, it would not have been as effective had you just gone in with no previous work or exposure to this stuff and just said a couple words of prayer. This was something you probably filled out some worksheets. You did some intensive inner um, reflective spiritual work mm -hmm. before you were ready to actually break those chains. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I was saying, I feel like the Holy Spirit really just walked me through yeah. and prepared me for that moment to be able to do that. And it like just walking out of there and all of a sudden it was like the angels singing uh -huh. in the sky's part. Oh, I'm like, oh, I see. I see what this was all about. Oh my gosh. What did you see? Like what, what, what came to you as you walked out of there? Just like everything clicking into place, like, okay, the, you know, speaking this out loud was one of the huge things. Like I needed to say it out loud. Yeah. And to a sister in Christ, not just my husband, who wants to just love me and support me. Like, that's a different relationship. Um, and so just to somebody who could, yeah, walk me through, who recognized and walked me through. And the the confessing with your lips. Like, I'm I'm Protestant, but I feel like I walked out of like, like I understand Catholic confession now. I understand why Catholics, that speaking to a priest. Like, yeah. there is something holy in that confession Say in sharing your sin out loud with yeah. another person. Yeah. Cause I had confessed this sin millions of times right. on my own and never felt near the freedom. And that's why it says right in the scriptures, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That yes. is legit. Yeah, exactly. And so I felt like that. And I also just felt so light and I felt like any mom who was walking by or any of the other women at the conference, I could just go up to them and say, Hey, I just experienced this amazing freedom. And I could just tell them my whole story and I had no shame about it. Like oh I gosh. wanted to. In fact, that evening I was with a group of friends at the conference. We went out to dinner and in the middle of a restaurant in the middle of the city, I just shared at the table, like the server could have walked up at any moment. And I was like, guess what happened today? This is amazing. Guess what God did for me? And they looked at me and instead of, and I did not get shame and judgment for them, but just love and compassion. And I remember distinctly one friend saying, I can't understand what you're going, you know, I can't understand this struggle. It's not something I have, but I see the freedom and I see the lightness in you and your change in countenance. And I felt like that was just, for me, just this confirmation that of a healing and release and freedom. And then just be like, I can't keep this story to myself. I can't not share what God has done. Yeah. That's amazing. What year was this? Oh gosh. Um, it was like five or six years ago. Okay. So around, um, early thirties. Yeah. 2016 ish, 15, yeah. 16. Yeah. Um, 
That is amazing. And so you walked out of there, you felt this huge difference. You share it with your friends that night. You get love and grace in return. Mm -hmm. Huge part of continuing that healing process. And then you go home and real life hits. And so what would you do when that temptation to escape into the fantasy world would come? Well, if I can go back real quick, I think the other thing, there was a healing and sharing with that group of friends that healed that wound from middle school, high school youth group when I felt the dirty and I can't share this with people. I feel like that moment confessing to the friends helped heal that in me, which was huge. Like no longer is this dark and nasty and Mm -hmm. dirty. This is redeemed and beautiful. Okay. And this is really important, Anna, because... Um, another part of the inner healing deliverance prayers, besides the generational sins and curses, the soul ties is looking at the lies that the enemy has planted in our hearts and speaking them out loud, Mm -hmm. identifying the lies. So your lie was, there's something really wrong with me. I'm paraphrasing, right? Yeah. But I am dirty and bad and nobody else is like me in among the girls here. And there's something really wrong with me. That was the lie the enemy planted in your heart at that moment, right? And then typically we tend to make inner vows in response to those lies where we basically, sometimes it's unconscious, sometimes it's conscious. We basically say, so I'm never going to tell anybody. Like Mm -hmm. a vow is a a promise we make to ourselves to protect ourselves from that lie that we're believing, right? I'm always, I'm never. Uh Those words. Yep. So yours, one of yours was, I'm never telling anybody about this, right? Right. right. And, and almost, I'm never going to be clean of this. Like, ooh, you know, just yes. that, that kind of, if I can't tell anyone, if that vow is going to happen, then I'm also never going to be clean of this. So that was another lie. A yeah. lot of, there's a lot of times yeah. there's usually there's multiple lies connected to each other with some vows. It's like a chain, like a chain. Yeah. Right. And so. Um, wow, that's really powerful. So you broke that vow that night at dinner mm-hmm. with your friends by saying, no, I'm going to tell them this. Right, and, right. And that was a big part of your healing. It was. And then to go on to your next question, when I returned home, I didn't, it wasn't like there was immediate freedom everywhere. The temptation was still there. The enemy was still there, but he didn't have as strong of a hold and it felt like more of flicking away a flea or just a little blug, just as, you know, yeah. if it popped up. And I didn't, and I wasn't always successful and it wasn't, you know, I was still walking through Christ, but every time it happened, it wasn't the shame and oh my goodness, it was no, I'm free in Christ. I'm loved. I'm still worthy. I'm not dirty. I'm not shameful. And we're just going to keep going and walking with and walking toward Jesus. And, And, and how did that change for you afterwards? If you did struggle and look at some erotica or or masturbate or whatever, how would you handle it differently than before the conference? A lot more of the process of just, okay, Jesus, I, I, um, I, I confess this to you and offer it up to him and just imagine myself putting it on the cross or putting it at Jesus's feet and then saying, okay, now I just Um, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your righteousness. I receive your blood and let it wash over me and cleanse me. Like a lot of times, like in the shower in the morning, if I had masturbated the night before, just, just a very almost liturgical experience and being in weekly Bible study, being, um, with friends who are Christians and where we're going to be talking and having prayer, um, church on Sunday, like there were just so many checkpoints of, this okay we've got to you know 
you know, just reflecting, okay, have I let sin in? Okay, I have. Let's deal with it. Like before worship on Sunday, there was this, you know, little liturgy I went through just to prepare my heart for worship. And I still go through, I guess I haven't stopped, but just that um, regular time with other Christians and other believers that just holds you accountable to keep Mm -hmm. checking in. Even if they don't say anything, even if they don't know anything, it's just that accountability just yeah. because you're united in the spirit and you want to, you want to make sure the Holy Spirit is within you and that you're, you're strong. So did you notice, um, a difference in your, um, connection with God after your deliverance experience and your, your, like how long in between struggling you would have freedom? Was there a change after that? Oh yeah. Total, total change. Longer and longer to, and and even just, yeah, just not even the same thing at all. Not even the same struggle. Mm. In what way? It was just less. It was, it was not chains. It was not heavy. It was not, and the ruts, like it was not like the ruts were gone. Like I could just, my mind could think and be yeah. on something. And if that thought started to come in, no, we're not on that path. That that's gone. I am picturing like a magnetic force field, like pre-deliverance. A lot of times the draw to whatever that behavior is, the addictive behavior, the behavior that we're in bondage to, it's like a magnetic force field. And I'm not saying that we're completely powerless because we could, you know, take that next step towards freedom or whatever. But until we do take those big next steps to do the inner healing work, it's kind of like you step towards it and you are in a magnetic force field where you you get pulled in. Yeah. You get sucked in, right? Does yeah. That, do you identify with that? Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. then after, you're like, no, I'm not even going to get close to that force field. Like, right. I know I'm powerless once I come near it, so I am just going to stay away. Yeah, exactly. And then the few times I accidentally stepped toward it or, yeah. you know, you just see something or you read something and right. you're, you're getting... Unintentionally. Unintentionally, because yeah. this is the society we're in. It's right. everywhere. Yeah. Then... It almost was like I could say, okay, Jesus, I'm turning away. Yeah. Or my biggest prayer that is like my most helpful right now, especially on when, when feeling drawn to the, to that old sin is okay, Jesus, I want to want you more than this. (laughs) Like not even just, I want you more, but I want to want you more. Like I can't even some, you know, you feel it and you're like, oh oh, yeah, that would be, it would feel good to scratch that itch. It would feel good Uh to do that. And I really want that. And I want Jesus more, but I want that and going yeah. back and forth. But just that freedom of the prayer of, I don't have to want Jesus more, but right now I can say, I want to want Jesus more. And mm-hmm. that's an honest prayer. It is. And that kind of was, is a good segue. So I found a lot of little, little things like that to draw mm-hmm. myself away and to draw towards Jesus. So you, you experienced several years of pretty high levels of freedom. Yeah. Would you say that's true? Definitely. Definitely. And just, and, and then thriving of leadership within groups at church and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and raising my children and whatever, you know, and just in marriage, just lots of, lots of fruit coming after post, post deliverance. Yeah. When was the first time you shared this publicly? Was it when I heard you at that ministry a year ago or had you already shared it publicly? No, I shared it. Um, so it was, the conference was in the fall and I think that February I shared at the women's ministry. Yeah. And since you started sharing it publicly in the last couple of years, do you have women come to you and be like, oh my gosh, me too. I'm struggling too, or I have struggled. 
Yeah, there's not a time that goes by yeah. that doesn't. And there's not a time that goes by that I share and there's not one person who comes up and that's not my struggle, but I do have an addictive behavior and I need help with it. Like I, like online gaming, like just, you know, Candy yeah. Crush yeah, or online shopping or there are just so many other little insidious yeah. behaviors that come from the little devices we carry around with us that can just derail us and have the exact same feeling. Yeah. So you've been able to share resources and ideas of how these women can move towards freedom. Yeah. That's amazing. That is so amazing. Um, Well, this struggle, especially among younger women, like those who grew up with high speed internet is becoming so common. I don't have a really recent statistic about young women and pornography, but I, if I had to guess among teens, it's probably a third to half that are wrestling with beyond just an occasional dabble, but more addict, heading into more addictive tendencies of Christian young women. Wow. Yeah. And um, the percentage of girls, of teenage girls who've seen pornography is probably 80 to 90 percent, at least, at oh, least. And so this is becoming a really common struggle. So especially for our listeners who are hearing this right now, if this is your struggle, if this is your daughter's struggle, um, especially we're speaking to a female audience right now, we have lots of other podcast episodes that are gearing towards a male audience. But for you girls, I want you to know you are not alone Mm -hmm. in your struggle. You are not alone. There is hope. There is healing. There is freedom that can be found when you walk with somebody else who knows path a path towards freedom and can help guide you along the way and I do know that here at Living Truth in our ministry we are really hoping our next group that we start will be one for women who are struggling with any kind of sexual brokenness it could be you've had an affair it could be pornography it could be erotica any kind of pain addiction Um, pattern in your sexual life that is unwanted that you want to address and deal with Um, we are in the process of preparing to launch a group for women for that so if that is you I really hope you'll reach out to us Um, you can email me personally at Kristen C at living-truth.org that's k-r-i-s-t-i-n-c at living-truth.org if you want to speak to Anna you could also email me and I'm changing her name and her identity for her safety and anonymity, but I bet she'd be more than willing to converse over the phone or um, have some kind of connection with you. So if you really want to talk to her, please let me know that in your email Mm -hmm. and I will do what I can to connect you with her. Mm -hmm. Um, 100% yes. This is, you're not alone and it's not scary and you're not dirty and all of those lies are not true. So, um, before we wrap up, I do want to ask you, like, how has the stress and isolation of the COVID pandemic affected your recovery process? Oh, so knocked me way far off. Um, Like I said at the beginning, so much of this was rooted in struggles with my mom and her perfectionism, my perfectionism, which comes from control. And then to be in COVID where there's no control and now we're wearing masks and now we can't go anywhere. And now the doors of the church are closed. And like I said, a lot of those liturgies and rhythms that I had created, 
like church on Sunday morning on my couch on, with Zoom did not at all touch what I need as a believer um, and what yeah. I had come to expect. Um, so I've worked a lot through that, but it was um, a lot of, it was a year of regression for me and kind of getting tied back into that sin. And I, um, and it was good to, to get to the end of that year and realize I can't, I, I feel like I just wasted a year of my life. Because was I'm, it a whole year or was it a like, slow demise? Like it was, it was a slow demise and probably, yeah, just that, you know, summer coming back into fall, like when it was dragging on and dragging And you on. realized, oh my gosh, this is not going to be over like we hoped it would. Yeah. Yeah. So about that time and then just feeling the stuck and the chains and the thing like just opening the door a little bit and just occasionally and just, you know, just here and there was, it was enough. The chains were back a little bit more, not as much as they were the first time, but I could, I could feel that starting. And I'm like, I, we've got, God, we've got to do something. So I confessed to my husband again and we worked through it. And then, um, and I confessed to God and I still, um, it was easier and things got lighter. And then it still felt like, I call it feeling echoes of it where the, just the temptation just was, it was coming and I would get drawn back in and then swung back out. And then finally I was like, no. And I texted a friend. I'm like, I need you to come pray with me. And so she came over and we sat on our couches where we could physically touch each other. And I, and I shared and she helped me pray through and she, she's a person who knows the deliverance and knows those things. And so we prayed through that all Mm -hmm. a lot of it again. Um, And so that was, And since then it hasn't been, it's been back to the freedom level, but it really, it really took a while. And it was, and when I I felt before I asked my friend to come, I just felt so helpless. Like, oh, why am I still struggling with this? I thought we dealt with it. I thought we were done. Yeah. So what were the lies the enemy tried to plant there? I don't know, man. Um, yeah, it's never going to, yeah, they were back to, it's never going to change again and back to, you know, COVID's not going away. So you're just going to, you're going to COVID and this is just going to be stuck together for the rest of your life. And Mm. it is kind of feeling like COVID's never going away, but that doesn't, (laughs) you know, whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter because that was the, the, just that piece of, I've, I've got to confess this to a friend I've got to, or to a sister in Christ. I've got to bring it back into the light a little bit more than I had been. Mm. And so, uh, when, once you shared it with that friend and you guys prayed through it, did you have to put some other things in place for yourself to, to get back on track with freedom? Mm, Oh yeah. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. A lot of avoiding Netflix. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just avoiding TV in general. Yeah. To get rid of the, the, and even, um, pop music. Like that can be a trigger. Yeah. Just, it just ended up being a trigger from, from the last year and just like, okay, secular music is just not where I need to be right now because that was leading me back down that path. So yeah, everybody's triggers are going to be different and everybody's, um, slippery slope is going to be different. But I do think that most people that struggle with addictive tendencies in their sexuality need to avoid stuff that's far outside the realm of actually being flat on your face in the struggle, in the pit, um, because it is a slippery slope once you start down that path to get there and your brain just takes it. It's like the ruts in your brain, right? It'll 
it'll carve those ruts right back out again. Mm. But there, you guys, there is hope. There is um, freedom. There is restoration. Anna's living proof of that. Um, I'm just so thankful that you were willing to come and share your story. Thank you for your honesty, your authenticity, um, the humility with which you share. I just really appreciate it. And I know our listeners will too. My pleasure. I'm glad that hopefully there are some people listening out there who are just not feeling so alone and so, so scared. There are, there's grace. Yeah. And there is hope and healing. So reach out to us and we look forward to talking with you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening.